You're now diving into the fish tank. Sitting down with Seth Living, Seth. OJ, Juice, Juice Man, ooh, and this is strictly for them true fans, yeah. golf fans, number one, one, of course y'all, this ain't no ordinary sports talk, dive up in that fish tank. Welcome back to the fish tank, right here on the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, Seth Levitt, of course, with DJ Preach. I normally like to say the man with the best hands in the podcast, but I start a fight today. Yeah. So with yeah. my partner, OJ McDuffie, Juice, how you feeling, man? What's up, Big Seth? Oh, listen, Juice. Well, first of all, let's welcome Brandon Marshall, the great Brandon Marshall in the house. Welcome to the tank, man. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me. You know, you, OG, OG got, you know, he has the better hands than me. Now, if, if you try to give him, like, yak, if we're talking about yards at the catch... <laughs> <laughs> then then it might be a little argument, but better hands, I give it to OJ. That's there, there, there's no argument there. It, your yak <laughs> is way better than my yak, man. As a matter of fact, I was talking to Seth before we even went on. If I'm a DB, I'm not even trying to tackle you, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're running through, running around, running past, you know, your speed and size and everything was truly intimidating for a lot of dudes. So I'm just trying to get the first down, Brandon. That's all I cared about. <laughs> Well, you made a living doing that. I appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Juice, we're going to get into all of it, but I got to say this. So so I think you know this, but for folks who are listening, so our offices at the Jason Taylor Foundation in Weston literally are neighbors to Brandon's newest enterprise, which we're going to talk about in greater detail. But if you're watching it here on YouTube, you can see kind of in that oval office there, the House of Athlete, right? So our And, and Brandon's been doing this incredible build out on this amazing facility next to us. I finally got a sneak peek inside the other day. But uh, I see Brandon once, twice a week. He's pulling up in the parking lot and the whole thing. And I've been trying to get him on this show here. I've been trying to get him in the tank for about a year. I think it's got to the point where Brandon pulls up and he's like, oh, shit, there's Seth again in the parking lot. He, he takes a phone call. He makes whatever. So, you know, I had to stalk him a little bit, but he's here. He promised me he'd be here. He's a man of his word. So so we appreciate you making that work, man. No, I appreciate it. No, man, I love you. Man, you, man, you were taking care of me back when I was playing for the Dolphins, 2011. So, yeah, man. Know, I'm glad I'm I'm glad I can jump on. Shoot, once once we once we open these doors and we really get this thing rolling the way we want to, I'm gonna be on more. Great. We're gonna hold you to that. That's right, right. But, hey, but I know the we'll other mark side that down, of the Seth. Mark is, that down. Oh, it's it's marked down. I saw saw Preach pick up the pen. But the other side of that juice is that Brand I told Brandon, man, I went into places beautiful. He goes, Well, did you sign up? I said, no, it's House of Athlete, not House of PR Flack, you know? And it's like, man, you know, it's just a gym. Just come work out. So we're, we're going to have to see how that goes. So look, Brandon, typically we have a- Did, kind you, of sign a, up? Did you sign up? I, I have not signed up yet, but I brought it's you serious. a customer. I brought you a customer. That's the way I look at it. I, I feel like that's my equity is to bring people to you. So, so look, we, we do typically have a format, um, but you're not a typical dude. There ain't nothing typical about you. So I'm just going to change things up a little bit and, and really just jump into this. Juice kind of alluded to it. If I take a bird's eye view of the Brandon Marshall career, Juice, we're talking almost a thousand catches, 12,000 plus receiving yards, 83 fucking touchdowns. And, you know, the statistics are, are through the roof. There's a lot of things that, you know, and, and, and I look forward to talking about today with your career, some ups and some downs uh, on the field, off the field, different teams, a really interesting career to, to analyze. I'm just going to ask straight up because I was listening to, I was doing a little research and listening to the I Am Athlete podcast. 
And, and Chad Johnson was talking about how he doesn't care about the Hall of Fame, which I like that you call bullshit on him because I'm calling <laughs> bullshit on it too. Yeah. Is Brandon Marshall a Hall of Famer? <laughs> I, I feel like it's disrespectful to talk about the Hall of Fame, um, but I will, you know, like it, you know, try to like sell yourself and, you know, get in that discussion. You know, I was taught, you know, that you let your teammates praise you and other people praise you. Um, and, and, and you praise your teammates and you praise other people. So it's hard for me to have that discussion, but I will say this. Uh, Hall of Fame was one of my goals. Uh, Pro Bowl was one of my goals. All Pro was one of my goals. And, and I had specific goals. So, the, you know, that was just my mentality. Every year I wanted to have 100 catches. Every year I wanted to have 10 plus touch, touchdowns. So I'm very goal oriented. You know, I believe in routine. So I got to be honest there, you know, like absolutely, you know, as a football player, you take the field, you know, we're, we're so competitive. That's one of the reasons why there's there's only like 1,700 that make it there, you know, per year or, or active that year. So, you know, I don't think we get to that point without having that mentality that we want to be the best. And when you look at it, all the guys in the locker room, weren't, you know, we're all coming together to do one thing on a new team, but we're all the best where we come from. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and, I mean, you definitely threw a little monkey wrench in the, in the format My right bad, there, Seth. You know what I mean? So so I'm, what I'm going to do, Brandon, is I'm going to backpedal a little bit. And I'm going to take you back to 2006 when the Broncos took you in, in the fourth round. And you got a little bit of burn, in, you know, in that, that first year. But, man, right after that, three straight seasons, 100-plus catches like you just talked about, 1,200 yards, 1,100 yards, 1,300 yards. I mean, 23 touchdowns, you know, during that time. So. You talk about those goals, and I say it all the time. If you if you got personal goals, those are good. If you achieve those, it's probably going to be good for the team. And I, I'm feeling that's how everything worked out for you. But man, you were just a man amongst boys when you were out there. And I, I before you even got on, Seth and I were talking about man, Brandon was just so just he's just such a as a wide receiver that size and you know and that's in the strength and the speed. It was just it was sick, man. And you know, it's well documented in your life that, you know, you, you were going through a lot on and off the field. And of course, you know, we get into a little bit later in this in this episode, but how much different or how much do you think, you know, the off the field stuff played into you coming to Miami in the trade? And what were your thoughts when you came to Miami and how you thought you would fit in with the squad? Yeah, so, you know, great, great, great uh, question. I wish going back and this is, you know, look. People, I, I live down here in South Florida. I still follow the guys um, that's uh, running that organization. Um, there isn't anybody still on the team that I played with, but I follow the Dolphins. Uh, but the reality was, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't at the time a great fit, um, and it, and it, it it was both. It was just where we were as an organization at the time, and where I was as a where I was as a player and a person, you know. But I had the opportunity to stay in Denver. They offered me a contract and Josh McDaniels, that was his first year in Denver. I'm coming, I came off a pro bowl year, all pro year. And the, the deal that he offered me, uh, just didn't make sense. He felt like it was a really good deal. I didn't. And, um, you know, I had the opportunity to explore other options. So the reason why I was traded is because that was the year where, uh, the CBA was funky. So the guys that were supposed to be free agents, actually had another year added, right? So the you know guys like me drafted in the fourth round. So I had to be traded out of Denver, but I was really it was really supposed to be my free agency year. So, you know, we started having conversations with teams. 
and it came down to, you know, Seattle, uh, Pete Carroll's first year there, and also the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> and what's funny is the way uh, my agent sold me, well, he was trying to sell me on Seattle, he was like, look, right now you're in this phase where, you know, you need to be better as a person, right? You need to be better as a teammate. And Seattle is the best fit for you. I was going to say, he couldn't have thought South Beach was the way to go. Yeah, he was like, you can go. Well, that was never my thing. Like, I was never a guy like, you know, I didn't, I wasn't a big partier and, and doing things like that. You know, I was extremely focused throughout the season, even the offseason training. It was just like me, you know, my attitude, my um, emotions, like getting that in check. Um, so my agent tried to sell me on going to the Seattle Seahawks. And he said, you can get lost out there. This is before the Legion of Boom. This is before the Super Bowl. He was like, there's only like two or three guys in the locker room on the beat. No one's going to cover you. And I was like, that's not where I want to go. <laughs> right, I'm trying, right. I'm trying to go enjoy life. I'm, so his sales pitch actually backfired on him. <laughs> and uh, coming to the Dolphins, you know, I, I really liked what we had on defense. Um, offensively, we had a running game. We had Ricky Williams. We had uh, Ronnie Brown. And I felt like, you know, Chad Henney would, could, could have possibly got it done. Um, but we were one or two pieces away. Um, and, and what ended up happening then was I didn't know how to communicate properly. Like I was a ticking time bomb. So I would sit there and Coach Henny at the time would put in plays. And as a, as a number one receiver, they just paid me all this money. And he would put in plays and he would, he would script these plays to go to the other side. And then he would stand in front of the team and say, well, you know, I, he would literally say this, you know, well, sometimes we go out in free agency and we get these guys and, you know, uh, um, you know, and sometimes the grass ain't greener on the, on, on the other Thank side. You. Sometimes wow. we just need to stay within the team. And I would go to Coach Sperano and I'd be like, Coach, what's going on? I said, right now, I understand. I see it. You know, let me deal with it. Let me handle it. But I would sit there for like three, four weeks dealing with Coach Henny and there was something there. I, I never, you know, it was just an awkward relationship. and. um you know, then I would just explode. You know, I'd be on the practice field. You know, I'm one-on-one with a guy. Chad Henny go to the other side. And I'm like, what the hell did you guys bring me here for? You paid me because I, I made a living beating one-on-one coverage. It's third and one, third and two. We got Z drive on the on the front side. X has the go route. But the check should, the check with me should be a go. Like, you, if you got your X receiver one-on-one, you throw it to him. And he wouldn't. And um, it just created a lot of friction, just trying to understand why they brought me in and what they wanted me to accomplish. It got in my head. I started dropping balls and it was just all bad. But in retrospect, like what I should have done better is communicated. You know, we're all interconnected in the way I tried to solve problems back there actually hurt the team. You know, those explosions or arguments with a, a player or a coach. You know, that's just not the way to do it. So I learned a lot during my time in Miami. I grew up in Miami. Um, the first year was the year where, you know, I would go to Ricky Williams. Like, Ricky, you think something's wrong? Do you think I'm like, this the whole, you know, where mental health came out? Like, do you think I'm bipolar? And Ricky Williams said, no, Brandon, I don't think you're bipolar. I just think you say the things that we all want to say and shouldn't say. <laughs> I was like, okay, good. So that first year, you know, having Ricky on the team, you know, he 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 made me feel normal because I'm like, why the hell am I saying this and no one else is? Mm. 
And then the following year, after I went to McLean Hospital and I stayed there for three months in an outpatient program, uh, when I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, like emotional disorder, being able to cope and manage your emotions and self-regulate, that second year was phenomenal. Like, I didn't say anything. They thought I was on medicine. Coach Mike Nolan walked up to me one day. He said, Brendan, are you on medicine? Wow. I said, no, I'm just, I'm gazing right now. I'm just, or I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on concentration. And um, I didn't say much. Uh, but they were so focused on that first year that when we decided to bring in, you know, Ryan Tannehill, they knew he was going to draft a young guy. They thought I was going to be disruptive. But I was actually a saint that second year. That's when we launched the foundation. That's what, you know, but they didn't know it was real. It was only one year. They just, they didn't know what was going on. Right. Um, so they kind of got freaked out because I sat down with them. And I know I'm a little long here, but it's, no, you know, it's kind of like the first time talk, diving into this conversation like that, you know, this whole phase of my life as far as the Miami Dolphins and what transpired on the field and the meeting room. But they bring in a new regime. And I remember sitting down with Coach Shermer, Sherman. Is it Sherman or Sherman? I don't even know his name. Sherman. 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 Mike Sherman, yep. Yeah, Mike Sherman. That guy. <laughs> so I'm sitting down with Coach Sherman. That's the and, one. Um, that guy. I love it. He, he, you know, he's, he's like talking to me about, you know, what was going on and you know, and just trying to get to know me a little bit. And I, and I just looked at him because I was all about business. I was like, look, coach, I, I get that you guys are excited and you guys are here and you think things are going to change overnight, but I need to know what's the plan. Like last year, we went, we started the season 0 and 6. That sucked. And that's the only thing that I feel right now is how we, how, how that transpired, transpired last year. So what are we going to do differently? So I think I was a little too strong in that first meeting because they were like, we can't deal with this guy. <laughs> yeah, I just not that group for guys. sure. Yeah, so that, I mean, that was the story. I know I was long-winded there, but, you know, the, you know, the Miami Dolphins situation, it, it helped me grow up. It helped me face my weaknesses, and I'm a better man for it. I appreciate I love that. that. Hey, yeah. I really appreciate that. Let me, real quick, though, that, that meeting, did it happen, um, like, what time are you like January, February, Brandon? That meeting with Mike, with Coach Mike, it was, before it was, they made the draft. It was, probably, it was probably a couple weeks once, a couple weeks into their, into their, into them being here after right. being signed. So I don't know when they, when they took the job and when they came in and when Coach when Coach came in, but it was it was it was right away. You know, they started meeting with some key players and having those, you know, those meetings where they were going to make the decision who was going to stay and who was going to go. But that was all that was said. I just told him, I said, look, I know you guys are excited. We just went on six. What's the game plan? What are we doing at quarterback? Mm. And they felt like I was going to be disruptive to Ryan Tannehill. Like, you got to go. No, you scared them. They might have felt like you were going to be disruptive to I them. Think a too. lot of guys end up being disruptive to Ryan Tannehill. You know, what? they were worried about his. Yeah, they were worried about him a little bit. So, yeah. whatever. He's moved, he's moved on. He's moved on. <laughs> he sure is. He sure is. So, and I, I want to dig into that a little bit more, Brandon. And thank you for being so honest with it. And, and first of all, Juice, clearly this is there's a reason this man is paid to to be a broadcaster because he he has led us into my next question and, I, and covered half of it. That's right. But because I was going to ask about the Chad Henney relationship versus Matt Moore, um, and you shed light on it that I didn't even realize. You know, I, I think one of the reputations was that you weren't. Uh, you know, that maybe they questioned at least early on what type of a teammate you were. You know, particularly yeah. on quarterbacks, right? right. And so. So in hearing what you're saying now, I guess, did you feel in retrospect that you weren't a great teammate um, at that point? And you said there was a shift at that point. So, I mean, you had a, a lot of you had a lot of ball left in you at which we saw after you left Miami. 
did you feel you were a different teammate at that point once you left here? Well, I think I, I think I was still growing when I left here. Um, 100%. I think, no, I don't think I was a good teammate because I, I think what we're looking for in a professional is if you, the consistency, mm. can you come to work and be the same guy every single day? And for me on the field, I was the same guy every day. You're going to get, you're going to get a monster on that field. I don't give a damn if it's practice or game, like, let's go. But off the field was the problem. It was black and white. Like, I'm the super cool guy. But then when Coach Henney gets up in this front of the room and he says what he says, and he yeah. do things like that, and it happens a couple of times in a row, that's why I use the word, you know, the term ticking time bomb. Because I would sit there and hold it in. But then it was like, how did I communicate once I felt, you know, that I wasn't being heard or listened to? You know, I would go to Coach Henny and say, you know, I wouldn't ask for the ball. I wouldn't say, Coach, throw me the damn ball. What I would say, because I, I actually watched T.O. and how he was getting he was getting a, a bad rap and called selfish. So in my mind, I was like, well, if I go say, throw me the ball, they're going to take it as selfish. So I would go to Coach Henny and I would say, Coach, how can I help the team? Mm. Tell me what I can do to help the team. And he would tell me, you know, something and, you know, BS and it would never happen. Or sit with Henny and say, you know, hey, bro, I'm, I'm you know, I'm one on one backside. What have you seen? You know, like that's why I use that Z drive uh, as a as an example, because that was vivid for me. Like, you know, that's fundamental football. That's that's West Coast offense. That's just simple. You know it as a smart player. You know, their quarterbacks reads. So it, Z drive X go X. You clear it out. And we're going to throw it to Brian Hartline during certain against certain coverage. But when you have your X wide receiver press one on one, that's called a check with me. You you know it's a peek. You peek at that. You throw that, right? So when we would have these conversations, this is Coach Henny telling Chad, "Don't even look at him. Don't throw it to him." So, so I didn't crazy. understand. Like so, right then, it's like I was so young and emotional. I didn't deal with those situations right. So then, the way I responded to them, I feel made me a bad teammate because God. now my the, you know Long doesn't know why I'm yelling at, you know, Chad after two, three weeks of us talking through this or Coach Henny, me not talking to Coach Henny. So those guys looked at me as like, man, like he's disruptive to what we're trying to do. So I I had to learn how to deal with those stressful situations. Wow. Oh, that's massive. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes absolutely. a lot of sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, me, you know, I don't know if you noticed about me, Brandon, but I'm like, I'm super Dolphin now, you know. I'm not, after I retired, man, I had like season tickets in the end zone, you know, sitting in the first row. I, I haven't missed, I've missed three Miami Dolphins games since 1993, you know, home wow. games since 1993. So I'm like super fan, you know, and I'm wondering the same damn thing you're wondering. You know what I mean? Why are we not? you know, hitting Brandon, why are we not seeing these one-on-ones and taking these shot plays? You know, and somebody like you doesn't even have to be open to be open. You feel me? Yeah. You know that, you know that feeling, man. And that, yeah. that's what, that was frustrating for me as well as a, as a, as a super fan. Why did we bring him in here if we're not going to utilize him the way he was being utilized, giving him the same opportunities, man. So I, but I understand but your frustration. But, but that's on me too, right? Like, that's why I said, it's just, you know, how, how we, me, my, my agent, how we manage my career is like, Sometimes as players, you get that opportunity in free agency or via trade to go secure your future and you go after the biggest contract and or you, you know, you don't sit down and thoroughly say, well, where's the best fit for me? Because we were still running wildcat. I'm a guy that's being targeted 170 times, 177 times a, a year in Denver. And then I come here and they're throwing it to me, 
you know, I, you know I'm, they targeted me 140 times. That's a big difference, right? So the, the type of flow that I'm used to, it, it was just uncomfortable for me at the time. And it wasn't that I, I wanted to just make a pro bowl. Like I wanted to win, you know, and for me, it was like, I know I can beat this guy one-on-one, just throw it to me. So I, you know, that, that, that was the struggle. Yeah. So that too, you talk about, you know, pro bowl 2011, you actually, you know, you made your third pro bowl, your career, but it seemed like that game was a little bit different, Brandon, you know I me, mean? let's, let's talk about that day and, and what the hell was actually going on in that and, and result in something nobody had ever seen in a pro bowl before. What, talk yeah. to me about that a little bit. Oh, you, as far as the, uh, as far as the. Oh, I love it. There I it love is. It. I <laughs> love it, V. That's what's up right yeah, there. Yeah, as far as four <laughs> touchdowns, as far as like, you know, yeah, I mean, all the yards. Yes, it was, um, I, it was a goal. Like I, I walked in and it was, it was something that just happened, um, in the moment. The, I think the Pro Bowl before I went out there and I was out of shape. And, uh, you know, I went in, like at 240. I played at 230. I may have been 242. And, um, this is the Pro Bowl before. And, uh, I had an opportunity to catch a touchdown from Peyton Manning. And it was a one step slant in the red zone, south end zone. And I dropped it. I'll never forget that look Peyton Manning gave me. You know, like it wasn't like, you know, we're out here to win. So fast forward to 2011. Um, I, I actually trained, like usually I take off January and I recover and get back the Monday after the Super Bowl. That was always my process. But this particular pro ball, I was like, I'm not going to look like that again. I would never put that on film. Mm-hmm. So I actually came in in some decent shape and I walked into the stadium and I looked up and I saw Jerry Rice's name and, all, and then like these MVPs, they're engraved in that, in that stadium. I was like, that's what I'm going to do this year. So it, I, I didn't know what was going to happen, but in my mind, like all week, I was visualizing be, being a, the MVP. I that's love hearing that. Right. I do too, man. To hear all the stories about the guys <laughs> that go there, the brother-in-law and, and the party and the whole thing. And, and, and that's cool. I mean, it's an all-star game and I get that. But it also, there's something about when the best of the best are playing and some guy says, nah, I'm going to be fucking better than the rest of you guys out here today. And I don't care whether what we're playing for. I'm just going to. So I, I like that. I, I love hearing yeah. that, actually. That, that's cool. Yeah. So yeah. as I'm looking at the show notes, Juice, I don't know why I lined it up this way, but I've loaded all the difficult questions on myself. So I apologize in advance. Good thing <laughs> Marsh up to this point has been real cool with me. But um, so another going to meet about, you in the parking lot, Big Seth. Uh, he knows where he's to gonna, find he's me. He's going to get you sure. in the parking lot. Watch out. <laughs> jump over those hedges and I got to start running. But um, in, in two, also in 2011, there was a story that took place uh, that happened with the Dolphins that I had heard kind of through the uh, certain guys, one of whom uh, you might be able to guess. But I heard it through a number of different guys. And and maybe this is part of what you're saying, although this was not an issue Nathan with... Taylor, um, are you talking about... The uh, Vontae Davis. Davis. I tell you, this guy's a pro. He's on it, man. He's on it. <laughs> I heard, yeah. So apparently, Von, you took issue with Vontae, and it wasn't pretty. So okay, tell us what happened, man. Yeah, this is this is the perfect example, man. It's like being consistent, understanding leadership, understanding how to manage these emotions. So we're losing. We're zero six. We're getting crushed. And part of it is we had these young guys on the team that didn't know how to be pros. And Vontae, and this is this is documented, right? So I'm not telling the story that it's not out there. But Vontae was late. Vontae was a bit of a party when he first got in the league. 
So he would show up late at times. But we're 0 and 6. Mm. So it came, it got to a point where Stu, head of security, would have to go get Vontae. So there's one Saturday, we have a walkthrough, get ready for a game, we're 0 and 6. No Vontae. <laughs> Stu goes and gets Vontae. He's not answering his phone, he's not answering his door. Um, he's beating down the door, literally had to have the front desk person let him in, mm. goes in, Dante, uh, Vontae's passed out. Wakes Vontae up, brings him in. Vontae comes in, he's still under the influence. So he's walking around the locker room in the facility, and he's just obnoxious. Forget that fine, F that fine. I, ain't, I don't give a damn about that fine. I'm like, bro. And he was like, under. I took him under my wing a little bit. You know, we used to compete a lot, and he used to call me big bro, and I'm like, I was like, Vontae, chill. Like, just be quiet. You know, go sober up. And he just kept going. I said, Vontae, you're being disruptive to the locker room, bro. Like, it's not cool. You're already late. Just keep your mouth shut. So there was a series of, like, probably, like, four or five back and forth of, uh, of me and him. And I'm like, yo, you're just be quiet. Chill, man. We're losing. We're 0-6. You're late. Shut up. So he's like, all right, big bro. I got it. I got it. I got it. So we go out to the bubble. And we're standing there while well, he goes out there. The defensive is out there. He has a bunch of guys around him. And I walk in. We're getting ready for this walkthrough. And he's, oh, my brother just got paid. I don't give a damn about the mm. the, the the fine. He's going to pay it for me. And I just walked up to him and I had a football in my hand. I said, bro, didn't I tell you to be quiet? Like, you, you, you having this conversation in front of the whole team? And he mouthed off at me and I just mushed him with the football. And then I walked out. I walked out. I looked at the coaches because I was upset with the coach. I'm like, are you, this is why we're 0-6. You guys are allowing him to continue to show up late. And then also, no one told him to shut up. Like, I'm the only one telling him to shut up. No one sent him home. And I just and, – and then so here's the part where uh, uh, OG, J, JT, I love JT. He, he's one of my all-time favorite teammates. Just, man, just awesome. So anyways, I, I storm out the bubble. And I said, you know what? I'm going home. If y'all don't want to play, if y'all, if y'all, this is what y'all want to do, I'm out. It's a waste of time. So I go and I'm literally on the way home. I'm about to jump in my car and go home. JT comes in. <laughs> JT's like, Brandon, you are right, but you cannot go home. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Relax, calm down, but you come back in here. <laughs> So he talked me off the ledge. That's, that's but great. that moment, right? It's like, like, how do you, it's, it's, come on, man. Like you're being disruptive right now. Right. You're, you're literally, we call them small pockets in the, in the locker room where you see these guys start clicking up, talking about the game plan, talking about certain things, and it becomes cancerous to the locker room. So for me, in my mind, I'm like, well, we can't have that. But I didn't make it better by how I responded to him when we got in the bubble. You know, so that's the stuff where I had to get better. So when I got to the Bears and the Jets and the Giants, I was able to handle those moments differently because mm-hmm. I was like, look, all I can do is control what I can control. But, you know, being too emotional as a leader, that's where you lose. Once you lose it, then you lose. So that's what I had to learn. That's, that's good wild. stuff, man. Although that he needed to be checked, it sounded like he did need to be checked. Yeah, You're but, just but saying the it's the way you check. When you have a when you have a background like me, like if it was anybody else, people would have you know have been fine. But 
Mm. You know, when you start off getting in trouble on and off the field, that's when, you know, those moments like that where it could be a great leadership moment right. is actually like disruptive to the team because you don't have the credibility to do that. Got it. They're like, oh, you're the guy now who's going to tell us what the, yeah. Yeah, we've seen, yeah, at times we've seen that guy get up in front of the team, Brandon, and say something, and everybody's like, man, come on, man. That, that come right. on, he, some guy that's not, you know, leading the way he's supposed to lead or practicing the way he's supposed to practice and talking about different things, man. But I think what, what seems like to me, man, is you was on the verge of becoming that leader and trying mm. to look out for somebody, you know what I mean? It, it sounds like that was the point in your life where you were turning that page and you know, the old stuff with the old shit was over with, man. You were starting to mature and grow up in the league because it's not easy for a lot of guys, man, you know, but it sounds like that might've been the, I mean, I know what you're talking about, how your teammates are perceiving it and the way you handled it, but it seemed like you were trying to make that, that professional movement to, to where you need to be in your career. Yeah. 100% man. It, it definitely was that, I, you know, I learned, I mean, I really faced, I faced myself in Miami because of moments like that, it's like, yeah, your heart was great and your intentions are pure, but the way you responded to that wasn't right. So I had to work on that, those things. And then you fast forward to, you fast forward to the Chicago Bears and I learned an important lesson there. And that, that lesson was, it's like, I have this vibrant personality and I'm super real and transparent. I'm like this on the field. I'm like in the meeting rooms. And it's great when you're winning, but when you're losing, it's like, how do you, now what do you do? So I'm the same guy all the time now. Now I go from being this black and white guy and, you know, you don't know what you're going to get to now I'm like, this is the same guy all the time. And I had to learn when you're losing, you need to tone it down a little bit. And then with the Jets, right? It's, it's now you're taking all these lessons and now you're, you're, now you're implementing them. So. You know, love just the maturation and everything I went through. But going to Chicago was awesome. I had we had a strong locker room: Pina Tillman, Brian Rolacker, um, Devin Hester, Lance Briggs, like there was Julius Peppers. I've never seen a locker room like that. I've never seen you know guys being together like that. Uh, so it made it easier for me to fall right in line and play my part. And um, you know, so. You know, I, that, I think they had a lot to do with that transformation as well. Yes, I was a different cat, but at the same time, they showed what it was supposed to be like. You know, but every year you learn something in sports, and that's the great thing about the NFL is the life lessons that you take away from the game. Absolutely, man. Now, that's great stuff, man. Uh, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. I know we've touched on it a little bit, Brandon, but I know how important, you know, this conversation is, uh, critically important about, you know, you know, we mentioned some of the, you know, off the field and, stuff earlier but from, you know from what I remember it was around the time that you were in Miami that you began to really get in touch with the, the, the mental things and the, you know the mental health and, and introduce us to a condition called you know borderline personality disorder can you talk about you know what drove you to look within find help and you know how it's changed so much not only you personally but I know a lot of guys including myself you know for a person like myself who deals with some some mental health issues in terms of anxiety and depression and things like that. But, you know, we're talking about borderline personality disorder. Talk a bit, little bit about that and how, you know, you for one have changed it. So some of these athletes who think they're so tough and can't speak out about certain issues are able yes. to do so. And it really started, you know, you, you talked a little bit about Ricky. I know Ricky had mentioned something about that in, in his life, as well as yourself, man. Talk about that and how important it's been. And so many others you, you, you've been able to reach with, with what you've been doing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and everything happens in Miami, right? So yeah. 
uh, it was a great place for me. Um, not the greatest all the time, but it was a great place for me to take that step forward. Um, but it's everything that we talked about, you know, the things that I've been through. It was, it was all of it. It wasn't just one thing. It was everything. And when I first signed with the Dolphins, Ricky just launched, premiered his 30 for 30. So he had a premiere down on South Beach. And so we went and I watched the documentary and just like everybody else, I was moved by it. And I couldn't understand how this guy walked away from millions of dollars and went to Australia and lived in a tent. But he was then back in the NFL, my teammate, and I'm around him every single day. And he was like, there's JT, there's Brian Urlacher, there's uh, uh, Ricky Williams, there's the Channing Crowders of the world, Ryan Clady's, Chan Bailey's, John Lynch's. I, I, yeah, I can keep going. There's probably like 10 guys, 10 teammates I got. Like, those are my guys, right? Like, those are great teammates. So it's like, how did this go, this guy go from living in a, living in a tent to now being this guy that I see every day reading a book in a cold tub? And he's just one of the most amazing people I've ever been around. So I walked away just moved by it. And then that first year I was struggling. Like I was struggling big time. And, 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 I, I, and that was a defining moment for me because I was, and I, and I, you know, I refer back to it, but remember I, I, I did my Ricky voice. I tried, you know, so soft spoken, <laughs> but because, you know, I couldn't understand, like I would come into work and I'm like, look, I'm just going to bite my tongue. I'm not going to say anything. And then I would say something. And I was like, dang, like Ricky. And I went to Ricky because I'm like, man, Ricky, do you think I'm bipolar? Like, what is this? Why can't I? Like, I literally said, I'm not going to say anything. Perfect example, Carl Durrell. He he was a receiver coach. Yeah. <laughs> He's not. Yeah. And, and yeah, then he became my, he was my receiver coach in the Jets. And the second time around was phenomenal. We have a great relationship. Head coach out in, in, in Colorado uh, now. But I remember after we played the Minnesota Vikings, I had 110 yards and a touchdown or something. I had a really good game. And he put the film on. He said, you know, you see, this is why I like Devon Best better. He said, because he's more efficient. You know, we throw him 10 balls, he catch eight. And with you, we got to throw you so many, right? And I just remember looking at him and I walked out. I walked out, I just walked out, you know, because I didn't want to snap, right? And I would, but I literally came in that day saying, I'm just going to chill. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. And I couldn't in that moment. So when I walked out, like I literally had to go just put my head in the cold tub. Like, I, I like this is just ridiculous. I'm like, Let me just calm down. So then I go to Ricky and I'm like, Ricky, do you think I'm bipolar? And he said, he's like, no, Brad, I just think you say the things that we all want to say, but shouldn't say or don't say. Fast forward to that off season. That's when I went to McLean Hospital, same person that helped Ricky Williams, Dr. Gunderson, right? So that's where all the passion of mental health came because I went, you know, from this guy that really couldn't control my emotions in those intense, stressful situations to now, you know, I had all the skills and tools to be able to deal with it. And that's where the passion from mental health came. And that was the year of the lockout. So the whole year I was sitting in Waltham, Massachusetts, and I was ready to not come back to the game until the work was done. But lucky for me, it was during the year of the lockout. And I just used that time wise. Wow. Wisely. When we came back, I had that press conference, and that was the first thing I said. I was like, where's Brandon? You know, what's going on? What, do you, what, what have you been doing? And I was like, I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, and I want to be, be one of the ones that put a face 
to it and a voice to it. I want to de-stigmatize it. I want to take it from a, a taboo topic to everyday conversation. And that was almost 10 years ago. Man, that's awesome, man. Man, yeah. that's, bro, that's that's huge, B. That's huge, man. I mean, I mean. Did you elect it, to go there, man? I'm sorry, just to cut you off. Did you, like, how did you find yourself there? Did you, uh, did you search it out? Did somebody so, say, Brandon, I think this is where you need to be? So, um, obviously, the first couple of years of my career wasn't great. And, you know, that there, there were people that was trying to help me. So my last, my second or third, second or third year in Denver, they sent me to this hospital, uh, Waltham, Massachusetts, just to do a clinical evaluation and sit down with Dr. Gunderson. I, ne- I didn't know who this guy was. So I literally flew out there um, for like two hours and I met with him. We just talked and I flew back to Denver. That was it. Fast forward to that moment where I asked, you know, where, I signed with the Dolphins. Yep. And in that film, Dr. Gunderson is talking about Ricky Williams. So part of that conversation was like, hey, Ricky, did Dr. Gunderson, did he did he really help me? So that's when I went, I elected to Got go. It. I called Dr. Gunderson and I was like, hey, Doc, you know, I would love to come spend time with you. And so at the beginning of that year, I was just flying out. I would fly out to Waltham, Massachusetts and meet with him you know, maybe twice a month. This was during the off season. And then it got to a point where he was like, Hey, I think you should, and you should, you should do this outpatient program. Mm-hmm. And that's when we, we did a clinical evaluation, a neurological evaluation. And that's when, you know, they diagnosed me with borderline personality disorder. And it went from just talk therapy to now a treatment plan. I was in dialectical behavior therapy, self-assessment therapy, mentalization therapy, cognitive behavior therapy, and one-on-one. Wow. So, you know, I was geared towards helping me where I'm challenged. Now they knew what I was dealing with for the very first time. So I would wake up every morning at seven in the morning. I would go to the campus. I would be there all day till five o'clock. And then from there, I would go to Reebok's headquarters. I was a Reebok athlete. And then I would train for the season. So I would literally go campus eight to five, sometimes eight to four. And then I would go to Reebok's headquarters and train. I had my personal trainer out there and, um, you know, that was our routine for three months every single day. Could you sense you were getting the help that you needed? Could you, you know, just like as an athlete? So right? and a half, halfway through is when I finally, when I finally realized I had a breakthrough. And wow. it, it was because he talked to me like I was, like I was a player. You know, I came in, I'm like, well, I was, it was, I was pointing the finger at everyone else. Well, you know, you wouldn't get mad if, mm-hmm. if, if, if Coach Henny did this to you. You wouldn't get mad if your quarterback don't do this. You don't get mad if your lady do this. You won't get mad if this person. And he just looked at me and said, it's not them. Stop blaming on everybody else. Control what you can control. You know, because a lot of times in these settings, it's like, oh, like, get you to talk. And that was the first time, like, someone, like, that, that's what I'm used you to. Clap back. That's yeah. football. Right? Yeah. So he, the way, when he did it, I was, like, shocked. I was like, you're a doctor and you're talking to me like this. I was like, wow. So I, it really hit me hard. And in that moment, I stopped pointing a finger at everyone else. And I said, okay. I don't care what Chad Henning does. I don't care what Coach Henning does. I don't care what my dad do or this person do. I'm going to control what I can control. And that's when I saw myself getting better. That's man, amazing. That's awesome, man. That's absolutely amazing, bro. I love it. That, really man. is. I love hearing that, man. Good stuff, man. Does Ricky know? Have you and Ricky talked afterwards? Does he know the impact that that little conversation had on you and now has had on so many other folks that you've been able to help? Does Ricky have any idea? Well, we never sat down one on one, but I, you know, I, I documented the whole thing my whole time in Miami, and um, 
and and we reached out to him and he did an interview and so he knows through that mm-hmm. but we never sat down and that you know uh, you guys got to like talk a real man. conversation about but he knows because he heard it before yeah but it yeah. just didn't come directly from him and I face to face I think it'd be pretty cool oh, for you guys to have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, and he prides himself on being a healer, you know, just in yeah. general. And so to. Oh, to... yeah. Yeah. We'd be on the practice field <laughs> and he'll be doing these things in that back. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm working on Ronnie Brown. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, bro. He, you know, he's like, he's like healing. I'm like, okay, Ricky. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, that's Ricky. That's great. You guys need to have that conversation. That's really cool. Well, look, I, I'll be quick here because I know that that you're well, I'll try and be quick given the, the extensive resume. Um, but I, I know you, you're limited on time. But I do think this is a great segue into what I think is is far more fascinating than and look. After you left Miami, you still had 500 more balls, 50 more touchdowns. Um, which is crazy, right? The second half of your career, Juice, you have 50 mm-hmm. touchdowns. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Some of that's um, against us when he was up in New York. I know. Yeah, yes, we did see some of that. <laughs> but, but to me, what's more fascinating is what you just talked about. It's your work as a, as a healer, right? You, you and Ricky, your work as a philanthropist, your work as an activist, a media personality, an entrepreneur. It's exhausting. You kind of told me that when I saw you in the parking lot the other day. You're like, bro, I got this, 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 and this, and this, but I got you. I just... And, and so talk about some of these things. Talk about what we see over your head here, House of Athlete, and, um, you know, what, what's the vision and the inspiration behind that? What inspired you to start the I Am Athlete podcast, which if you haven't heard the I Am Athlete podcast, uh, which a lot of people have, because I, I, I saw how many views you're getting on YouTube with that. But it's, it's not only Brandon, it's our fan favorite here in the tank with Crowder. Uh, Reggie Wayne, Ocho Cinco, Fred Taylor, some really deep conversations and some fun conversations. You guys do great work with that. Talk about what is driving you to just stay that damn busy and to deliver each of these things. It's, it, it all goes back. So when I left uh, Miami, you know, we launched our nonprofit because I was like, dang, like I was struggling for so long and I only spent three months at McLean Hospital and I'm just a different person. Like I feel alive, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of things that in Miami, there's a, there's more to the story that, you know, we don't talk about, you know, depression, anxiety. Like I was uncomfortable being out in public. I would go to the gas station, have a hoodie on, it's a hundred degrees on, and I would like slouch down so nobody sees me. There was so much more to the mental health story, right? People right. can see the behavioral issues. So, you know, I just couldn't understand how now I was comfortable in my skin. Now I was just, laughing i was smiling I, I felt like i went four years without even cracking a smile so i spent three months with uh, harvard when i was with the chicago bears traded the chicago bears and we studied influencers that did well with their platform live strong lance armstrong magic johnson keanu reeves boomer science and we studied so many people and for me it was it was it was it wasn't about football anymore i was like damn for the first time you know i, I realized my purpose it's not football i thought Football was it, just like a lot of us, right? Like our identity is wrapped up in the sport that we grew up playing. So I, st- I started to build this nonprofit. You helped me out a lot, Seth. You were there, I think, at the beginning of the days. Yes. You helped me think through, you know, what to do and how to do things. Um, and, and still are to this day. I bounce things off of you, so I appreciate you. But anyways, like it was it's since that moment of being on McLean Hospital, at McLean Hospital, um, I've been trying to help people unlock their full potential by bridging a gap in the mental health community. And um, 
the reality is it's 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 hard on the it's hard on the nonprofit side. And when I walk into House of Athlete and we're doing the things that we're doing and healing people this way, um, it's the change that I wanted to see on the nonprofit side. So that's what House of Athlete is. So mm. you know it's amazing we're going to be the first to scale athletic performance for the gym pop. But also, you know, next you open up the app and you see the strength and conditioning classes, the speed and agility classes, and you also have recovery rooms, the athletic training rooms. But we also have that thing that helped me get through what I got through, and that's self-assessment. So you can come to a 7 p.m. class, and it's just a group of people, maybe 15, 20 people doing self-assessment. Self-assessment is just asking, how are you? What are you doing? And you go in a circle and you just talk about your feelings. That was the most impactful thing I did wow. at McLean Hospital. So people are coming in and being healed, and it's not all deal, people with dealing with anxiety or depression. They just be stressed. So, you know, that is House of Athlete, and it's you know, it's it's a facility, a mental health facility disguised, you know, and a for profit. That's what it is. Because I feel like That's well, I know just from the stats, there's 326 million Americans, and over 100 million Americans deal with something. And if you don't have a diagnosis, you, you still get stressed out. You still have bad days and you need that place to escape. So the way I disguised all this is taking OJ, our experience in the NFL and infusing that into this concept. So like the experience I got when I walked into the Miami Dolphins facility is the experience that the members get here. They have athletic trainers. They have mental health practitioners. They have nutritionists. They have recovery room. They have trainers. We do it together. Um, we're a team and it's athletic performance. So. That's House of Athletes. It's incredible. Juice, you got to go see it. But I didn't know that they were no, doing no, all the other elements. No, see it. Come train. No, come Juice, in you got to right. go train. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm 50 now, Brandon. You know, train is not in my repertoire anymore. I have 70-year-old men and women oh, training with us. Oh, man. There you go. You put me on the spot with the 70-year-olds. That's. I mean, I, yeah, if they're doing it, I guess I might have to come in there for sure. No, it's it's stunning. When I saw the hot and the cold tubs and the lights above, because in case you forget, we got the red lights and the blue lights, and then that egg, that whatever that water therapy egg thing is in there. I mean, it's like you're walking into the future, Juice. It really I'm going to come for a tour then. I got to come check it out. You ain't no come for a tour. Bring your workout clothes. That's the tough thing, though, man. If you go for the tour, that's what's going to happen. Hey, but but and thank you for the kind words. It's nice of you to say. I, I'll never forget it. And it is kind of wild now that you have built this unbelievable facility right next to the building that – Back in 2010, 2011, you came in and had a meeting with JT and I. And I remember you walking through the office. You're like, I, I need something like this. I'm like, nah, man, you don't need, you know. And uh, you're like, well, yeah. why not? And I didn't realize. Do you remember it, right? I, I didn't realize the vision that you had. And, and I, I, quite honestly, up to that point, I think that's really when you kind of told us about the time that you had spent in, in borderline personality disorder. And so that was just brand new to us yeah. and, and, and to see where you've gone. And Juice, I'd get a call every six months. My guy. Hey, how, how many how many employees do you have? You know, send me a flow yeah. chart of what your yeah. organization yeah, looks yeah, like. Yeah. You know, and all that, all that. The pink you're going to the right man, B Marsh. That's the right man right there, man. Right. So, and then next thing you know, he's got a ping pong tournament. Roger Goodell's playing it, and I'm like, son of a damn, Brandon, man. Okay, okay. you went next okay. level on shit. So, <laughs> it's it's been really cool to watch, man. Um, and and it is inspirational. And, you know, when I think about the work that we do, that Juice does with young people, it's easy to get the superstars and say, hey, look, they're at Harvard now or they're at Stanford and they were going to be great whether we ever met them or not. Maybe we did a little something along the way. But to see folks that that can go uh, really just the 180 and and the introspection that you shared here and the work that you did on yourself 
and that is not just about yourself and how you're paying it forward. Correct. It's, it's fantastic. And probably the last thing people think that when they were going to, when they press play on the podcast to listen to this today, I think they got an interview that's completely different than what they expected. And I, and I bet they're happy for it, man. Absolutely. So, so thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thanks guys. Hey, thanks for diving in B Marsh, man. Much love, man. I'll see y'all working out Saturday. Too. All right, man. <laughs> thanks buddy. Appreciate the time. You're now diving into the fish tank. Sitting down with Seth Living, Seth. OJ, Juice, Juice Man, ooh, and this is strictly for them true fans, yeah. golf fans, number one, one, of course y'all, this ain't no ordinary sports talk, dive up in that fish tank, go get your aqua orange, yeah, it's time to dive up in that fish tank, it's only legendary talking when you dive up in that fish tank, rocking with OJ and Seth when you dive up in that fish tank, Celebrate big or cry hard. Leave it all on the field. We gon' try hard. Old school, a new school. Mix it in. Feeling like we up close when we listening. Dolphins tales in Miami is the deep end. We vibing with our favorite players. No secret. We get with Seth and McDuffie. Bringing up stories we never heard to the public. Bet we love it. Dolphins fans never budget. We loyal to the team. Whether happy or we upset. We be like, what's next? Don't switch the subject. You know it's all about them fans. And if you ready for that water, time to dive in. Don't switch the subject. You know it's all about them fans. And if you down with Dolphins Nation, time to dive in. Don't switch the subject. You know it's all about them fans. You looking at that fish tank. It's time to dive in. fish tank. Go get your aqua orange, yeah, it's time to dive up in that fish tank It's only legendary talking when you dive up in that fish tank Rockin' with OJ and Seth, time to dive up in that fish tank